This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. G'day, hello and welcome to Sports Cutting Edge. Thank you very much for your company. We're here for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, ASTN, powering sport through innovation. You can check them out at astn.com.au. Blockbuster show. Today we go behind the scenes of the great Australian swimmers, our Olympic champions. We're going behind the curtain and looking at the sports science and the sports tech powering our Aussies, what happened in Tokyo, what we're going to do in Paris, we'll get the inside word from Jess Coronas, who is an absolute gun. Jess is the sports tech boss of Swimming Australia, as well as that is the head of sports science for our Olympic swim program. Jess is a legitimate rock star and is on the show just moments away. As well as that, we're going to go around the grounds, right? We're going to go and meet uh, some of the different people that make up our sports tech world. Tom Demetriou is the sports cutting edge APAC correspondent. And Tom has been out there pressing the flesh for the Australia Sports Innovation Week. We're going to hear over the next few weeks, hear from different members of our sports tech community. Up today, Tom Demetriou speaks with Steve Anning from Riot. Tom on the show, but first, Jess Coronas. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. You know, such a, a massive part of our national identity is sport, and, and such a huge segment of that is the Olympic dreams that keep being conquered by our Australian swimmers over such a long period of time. And you cast your mind back to the great Dawn Fraser, Melbourne 56, and then Rome 60, Tokyo 64 to win the 100 metres, the Blue Riband event, three in a row, first female to ever do it. And all of the athletes, all the swimmers that have come since, Kieran Perkins, Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett, and Emma McKeon, Ariane Titmus, like Libby Trickett, like there's just so many. The magic, Madam Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. They really, I suppose, give Australia a sense of itself on the world stage, and we are good enough. We're good enough to compete against these gigantic nations with huge populations, huge resources, such a source of pride. We're going to take a look behind the scenes today about how our Aussie swimmers are able to do so well. We've got magnificent athletes, magnificent coaches. We had the Olympic super coach of swimming, Michael Boll, on the show not long after Tokyo last year after the Aussies broke all records. Today, we have the sports tech, sports data boss of Swimming Australia. My great honour to welcome Jess Coronas to the show. G'day, Jess. Hey, Lucky. How are you? Uh, so good to have you on. Uh, you've been with Swimming Australia for 10 years, which, I mean, that's an eternity in the modern age. And it just shows clearly how much you love your job. But also, and I'm guessing this is really important, how much clearly Swimming Australia trusts you and you trust them. Because I'm guessing when it comes to tech, high-performance trust is such a key element. Jess, can you just give the listeners an idea? What's your day job? What are you doing day in, day out with our swimmers? Um, yeah, thanks for that intro, Lockie. Um, <laughs> made me sound a lot better than I actually am, I think. But, um, yeah, Day to day, there's a lot of um, variety in my job, and I think that's probably 
one of the things that um, has allowed me to have longevity in my career um, with Swimming Australia because of the variety in the work that I do. But um, day to day, normally I'm on pool deck in the morning um, with the athletes and coaches and observing training and um, working with them um, on their skill development. Uh, my background's in biomechanics. So um, I work in the area of skill acquisition, performance analysis and biomechanics. So helping them try to improve their swimming technique um, and their skills. Um, so that's normally a few hours, two to three hours sort of in the morning. And then it's off to the office um, for probably a, a pretty good lineup of meetings with different people um, processing data that's being sort of captured during the training session. Um, a lot of planning. I do a lot of planning with coaches around their um, camps and competitions, but um, part of my role is um, also head of sports science for the um, Olympic program team. So planning for whatever camps or competitions we've got up. So coming up, so something like the Olympics is really a four-year planning process. So you're always working um, on that. And then it's back to training again uh, in the evening. Again, for normally we've got a double session. Um, so, yeah, that's well, that's the day. It's a huge day. I appreciate you sparing some time to jump on the pod. So what? So you're st are you on pool deck at what? Four a.m., five a.m. What time are you? No, no. I think four a.m. is a bit of a myth these days. I think they used to do four a.m. Now you'll get a few programs uh, in the water at five thirty, but even not really many there. Most are sort of around six six thirty um, in the water. Interesting. All right. Okay. Well, we'll get into a bit more of the tech and the sports science in a sec. But just, how does it feel, Jess? Like when you, you know, you're talking about it, you're heading up sports science for our Olympic program for swimming. I mean, no doubt, as a kid, you grew up watching swimmers and watching the Olympics and cheering them on. Now, obviously, you've got the incredible knowledge in biomechanical science, but to be heading up the sports science for, I mean, how does that feel? You must reflect at some stage and think, my God, that's that's a pretty cool job. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely you have um, moments where you reflect and, um, yeah, I, I don't know, it's, um, yeah, I come to, I guess I pinch myself sometimes and um, think, wow, like, look where I am and how lucky I am, um, what I'm doing. And I think about the people um, that have had this role before me as well. Um, definitely, you know, we've had a really rich history of sports science in Australia um, and it's really developed, you know, right from the inception of the AIS. So without all those people that have sort of come before us um, and really made sports science, you know, a career um, and, and a real part, an integral part of high performance sport, you know, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do um, do what I'm doing. But, yeah, I definitely feel a huge sense of responsibility um, in the role to um, to the team and to the athletes and the coaches um, and to the organisation, I guess. And um, I've, I definitely feel like I'm just a custodian, um, you know, in this position and hopefully I can do a good job and, um, yeah, pass the baton on to someone else um, coming through, you know, and they can take it to a whole nother level. So, yeah, it's, I feel really lucky um, and privileged and honoured to be in the position that I'm in, definitely. 
Well, from chatting to Eugenie Buckley, the CEO of Swimming Australia, you are so highly valued at that organisation. So as I say, it's it's awesome to have you on this show. Can you tell us the what are the key things you're looking at with a swimmer? We won't pick any names, but what are the baselines, the, the basic sort of metrics you're looking at? And then we can get a bit more specific about the way the technology is used to analyse, to, to procure that data. Um, but what are the, the basic things you're looking for? Yeah, sure. It, um, I mean, there's a whole, I guess there's a whole performance support team now um, around an athlete and a coach and a program, um, you know, so there's, you know, metrics from nutrition, you know, um, body composition and anthropometry, um, physiological markers, um, biomechanical markers. Um, as I said, my background is in um, biomechanics. So for me, um, I'm doing their race analysis. So I'm looking at um, the way they sort of swim. So I'm looking at things like stroke rate, distance per stroke, angles, um, positions of the body um, and the limbs in the water, um, things like velocity, the speed that they're moving through the water, um, breaking down their race into segments. So breaking it down, you know, instead of a whole 100 metres, for example, looking at a start which is off the blocks to 15 meters and then you're looking at some free swim in the middle of the lap and then a turn which is five meters into the wall and 10 meters out so breaking that down and and looking at those and looking at bench world benchmarks um so that we really understand the event um and then combining that data that technical data with the physiological markers to know What's what the athlete's capable of and strength markers from the strength and conditioning team, um, you know, working with the physios around body position and angles that the swimmer can get themselves into um, because it's all about maximising propulsion um, and minimising drag in swimming. Swimming is actually a really, really technical sport. Um, it looks like, you know, you do have to do a lot of hard training and be extremely fit um, and physiologically prepared, but they get does get to a point where everyone's as fit as each other um, or can be as fit as each other. Um, and then it will come down to the one who's technically the best, um, you know, potentially will win the race. It's so fascinating, the point you make. And and even, you know, listening to Ian Thorpe and his commentary, he's sort of pointing out all these sort of specifics that you speak of. Mm. Um, obviously, it's your job day in, day out to be able to use this information, synthesise it, and then help the athletes improve in these areas. Um, obviously, swimming, I'm, I'm guessing, and we've chatted a bit about this at the Sports Tech World Series, but swimming is, is complex in the fact that it's underwater. So how are you able to gauge? I mean, obviously, if someone's running on a track, I'm guessing this sort of data is much easier to cure how do you go about it with swimming yes yeah, definitely um challenging lock with the water um and there's a lot of hydro hydrodynamics that are involved and uh, we are quite limited in swimming the technology is definitely out there to measure it um but it takes a while for that technology to sort of filter down um into high performance sport especially olympic sport um you know where there's not a huge amount of money um there's not a big commercial market so you know, there's hydrodynamics um, technology like um, in, in shipping and the marine world and stuff like that. And eventually it will filter down um, to us and we try and grab it uh, where we can and pull it down um, to us. But we have a system, a sort of a custom-made system, computer software um, called Sparta 2, um, which was developed by the Latrobe University, the AIS and Australian Swimming 
Um, and it's this well, it's the first of its kind, um, and it uses uh, machine learning um, and image recognition. So we use a 4K camera to film a race um, or a time trial, and um, and then the computer will do a bit a bit of the work, not all the work, but um, a bit of the work in analysing the race and tracking the eight swimmers in the pool up and down the lanes. Um, and then we, we come on and um, do a bit of correction with it um, and error checking um, because, as I said, it's a really new system. And so the algorithm, the machine learning has to learn as it goes. And the more and more we use it, the better it'll get, the more accurate it will get. But we used it for the first time um, in um, international competition in Tokyo. So we've got a huge amount of data that it's sort of learning off but it needs more and more and more. So every year it will get better um, and we will need to do less sort of error checking, hopefully, and correcting. But, um, yeah, that's definitely our main source um, of, I guess, data, competition data. Feed the machine, give it more data and let it do more of the work, eh? I mean, and actually, you know, Jess, that Sparta too with Swimming Australia and the RAS won at the Australian New Zealand Sports Tech Awards night the night before we met at the Sports Tech World Series. Uh, Yes, it won. So you're, you know, uh, nationally recognised. Yeah, and it was like, that was actually, that was really awesome because it's a project, it's taken us five years to build it, um, to get it into international competition so there's a huge team that's worked on it, um, you know, at the AIS and La Trobe University um, and uh, a colleague of mine, Mark Ellie Poets from in Australia. And so it's just awesome recognition for them because I think it's really underestimated the work and the intelligence um, and experience that has to go into building something like that. I could only imagine barely how much would go into it. And as you say, it's five years. The exciting thing about that is you didn't have it in the lead up to Tokyo. You you guys blitzed it like never before in Tokyo. So now going into Paris, wow, okay, it's going to be next level. <laughs> um, and Jess, can you give us a bit of an idea in terms of that program, like – as you say, with more information that you receive uh, into the machine, you're going to be able to have more uh, computation and more analysis given to you. How much can you describe the interaction for you personally working with Sparta 2, um, the way in which you're able to take that information and then distill it into actionable things for your athletes? Like, Can you tell us about that process? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, that's the crucial part of the process at the end of the day, right? Like Mm. once you've got valid um, and accurate data, it's all about how you use it. So, Mm. you know, we always say to people that you can have the best machine in the world, but if you don't have the athletes and the ability to understand and translate it, then it's no good to you anyway. Um, But for us, so we work with the athletes and coaches sort of throughout the year and we develop race plans for them. Um, that are individually designed around how and that they train towards the specifics of how they're going to swim a race and an event. Um, And so the race analysis, then once that's done, that's the test, right, to see whether they've executed the race the way they're meant to. Um, So once that's sort of done, we produce um, a race report, comes out of Sparta 2, and that's where the conversations will start with the coach first um around you know just picking apart that report looking at what the race plan was and looking at um you know areas where they've achieved sort of what they wanted to or or they may have excelled in certain parts of the race um and other areas where there may be potential for some improvement 
Um, and those conversations will happen like during a competition, um, you know, like in between heats and semis and finals. So normally we can spit out a race analysis about sort of 30 minutes post a race. Um, so we'll get down to the coaches, um, go through it with them and see if there are any adjustments that we can make between that sort of, you know, as I said, the the rounds, the heats, the semis and the finals as they progress through. Mm. Um, and then because now with Sparta 2, we're able to analyse the whole pool. So we've got a lot of international um, competitive data too. So, you know, we might be able to point out things like, hey, the Swedish swimmer, in lane six um you know she's going pretty well just she's very good on the turn that's where she's going to try and get you you know is on the turn so as much as we try and really individually just focus tell the athletes to focus on themselves it is good to be able to give them a little bit of awareness of what's going on around them um and then once we've spoken to the coach it'll depend on the athlete um to how they utilize data or what they're like in the competition environment, but whether we talk directly to the athlete or whether it's the coach that will take that information to the athlete. Um, sometimes athletes don't want a lot of information. You know, they want to go into a race with a clear head um, and they want, you know, you to articulate what was on the report more, um, I guess, you know, descriptive around their swimming or something like that. So it really depends on the individual, how you sort of, I guess, get that information through to them that you feel is like important for the race. Yeah. Um, and then the next bit is like, you know, you're sort of reviewing and reflecting, you know, after a competition. So, you know, did we achieve what we wanted to achieve? You know, where do we go to next? So it's a big part of like the review and then the planning phase for the next season as, as well. Well, you know, it's it's good. I was going to ask you um, whether you do what they call in footy oppo research, you know, opposition research, but clearly, so you do. So you've got yeah. that ability to, and the yeah. other nations must be like trying to peek a look over your shoulder, like because obviously you've got the cutting edge tech. Are they? Is there a fair bit of rubbernecking and yeah, yeah, yeah pin, definitely pinch USBs first, and you know. yeah, in the first couple of days. Um, when you go set up in, at an international competition, everyone's always looking around to see sort of what new piece of tech or new camera each country has. And Japan definitely outdid us this year. They set up right next to us. And uh, we had a, pr a pretty standard tripod about sort of, you know, five, six foot high. Yeah. And Japan pulled this tripod up. I reckon it was about 15 foot in the sky. <laughs> and we were just like, we were like, you win. <laughs> yeah. Would have had to be a tall camera person to reach up and yeah, yeah, I don't know hey, how they were operating it. <laughs> hey, um, so tell us about so that 4K camera you speak of that that uh, you know creates the Sparta product content yep. is literally sitting out on the pool deck. Is it where does it position? No, so um, at a competition, um, sports science is sort of allocated a section in the grandstand. Generally, right. that's halfway along the pool. So if it's a 50 meter pool and we're racing long course, it's about the 25 meter mark. And it's in the nosebleed section. It's as far up um, the grandstand as we can get because we need height and that angle down um, is best for us, is the best camera view for us. So all of sports science, all the countries are up there. So if you're ever at a competition and you sort of turn your head around, you'll see, you know, 40 to 50 cameras all up there with the sports scientists. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we sit up there and we have the 4K camera, which is stationary. Um, and it films the whole pool in one frame. 
Um, and then we have two panning cameras where we're zoomed in on the Australian swimmers, particularly um, or the ones that we're analysing um, so that we can get a really closer in zoomed in um, picture for more technical review because the 4K, because we're trying to get the whole pool in, um, the image that you get out of it, it looks like little ants swimming up and down yeah. the pool. That's not great for sort of um, technical, like, um, technical review, like just watching video to give feedback to the coach and athlete. So yeah. what we then do is we use the 4K footage to get the data, all the metrics and the annotations that we need. And then we take that video out and we swap it in with the panning video and we overlay the data from the 4K over the panning video. Jeez, there's so much <laughs> to do. And are you, so you're sitting up there, as you say, in the nosebleeds, and are you, yeah. so you've got an iPad and your colleagues have got an iPad each. I'm guessing you're getting a live feed or how I wish it? it I, lucky, I wish it was an iPad. Um, unfortunately, um, we have these gaming computers um, because we need the power of the gaming computer to run the machine learning. Um, each of them weighs 12 kilos um, and runs off. Um, uh, the power it runs off is like ridiculous. It actually has um, two battery packs that plug into the back of it. And then you need two PowerPoints into the wall just to run one computer. God. So and an so iPad would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk to Latrobe Uni. Tell them we need iPads. Come on, Latrobe. <laughs> Um, <laughs> get your act together. Um, no, so, I mean, that in itself, you're given such an amazing behind the curtain view. I, I really appreciate this. So, you're sitting up there, you're on this computer. How do you all fit in? Because, as you say, you've got 100 nations or whatever up there, you're all trying to squeeze yeah. in for space. How, logistically, luckily, luckily, we all luckily we all get along. Um, because yeah. <laughs> you're in pretty confined spaces up there, and yeah, your camera, your tripods are sort of overlapping. and. Um, there's always, you know, funny stuff that goes on and people move in your tripod in the middle of the night and that kind of thing. And I think it was the, was it the Brazilians this year dropped their tripod? We, this year in Budapest, we were in two tiers like this and the Brazilians accidentally dropped their tripod onto the head of the French sports scientist in front of us. So that was a bit of a, a disaster, but, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty tight up there and that's why you know, one of the things that we're working on now is trying to reduce that footprint. So as, again, as technology gets better, you know, being able to use a smaller computer that still has the same power to do the analysis and cut down on the space. And eventually we'd like to go from like a 4K camera to a 12K camera so that we can then also get rid of the panning cameras because yeah. we'd be able to, the resolution on the 12K, we should be able to zoom into the swimmer we want and crop it because the resolution will be much better. So, yeah, it's it's an it's a continually evolving sort of process, really. I love that with all this cutting-edge, you know, world-first technology, still old-fashioned skullduggery of moving someone else's tripod <laughs> exists. I love it. <laughs> At the Olympics, like, this is the yeah. Olympics. I'll oh. tell you another good one. We never know, like, where we're going to – when we're going to an international competition, you never really know – uh, what the setup is going to be completely like. Um, and because it was the first time we were going to Tokyo um, with the Sparta um, system and with COVID, we couldn't get over there beforehand and stuff. And the power that this thing takes, like if we don't have power, like we're 
buggered basically yeah. um, so we had to and we didn't know whether we would have power like right in the back of the grandstands so we had to come up with a solution to like if we don't have power what are we going to do yeah, yeah. um anyway so we ended up with 120 kilos of car batteries um <laughs> that went over in a pelican case <laughs> and when they brought the pelican case to me in the office, they're like, yeah, so we've got this solution. There's three car batteries in here and you just need to do this, Jess, and this and this. And I'm just going like, guys, how am I going to carry 120 kilos of car batteries into the nosebleed section of a grandstand? There's not lifts that go up there. Thank God get- we got the token. Yeah, we took it. We took it. But thank God we got there and um, because there were no crowds um, in Tokyo, we daisy-chained a power cord all the way up the grandstand. But if there were crowds, we wouldn't have been able to do the daisy chain of power cords up. Yeah, so literally if there were crowds, you would have yeah. had to go the car battery, would it be? Or... Yeah, it would have had to go the car battery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, it, Yeah, we in, dodged a bullet there. I, well, what about in Paris? What what Have you been able to go and do a recce? No, not yet. The pool's um, not fully done yet. So we have, we went to um, Paris this year um, and to Sharp where we'll be doing our staging camp. But uh, yeah, we don't know in Paris. Yeah. I mean, there will be crowds um, again. So yeah, we're going to have to come up with a solution. (laughs) Um, Hopefully, yeah, we've still got a couple of years and technology moves quickly. So hopefully there's some sort of solution by then. It is just fascinating insight you're giving us. Um, I want to talk about, we sort of mentioned this a bit earlier, but the way in which you are able to apply the knowledge to the individual athlete. Um, Are there some athletes that just are sort of real, they just love all their data, they love immersing themselves in the numbers? Obviously, you've got the other ones that are more the free spirit, just let it come. But have you got some that just really are in on it with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of them just absolutely eat it up. Um, and that's why it's really important to know the athlete as a person because, yeah, you need to know, yeah, do they like numbers? You know, how do they handle it? How do they digest it? Um, and, yeah, we've got some of them that just absolutely love it, that, you know, like keep all their numbers, they keep all their race analysis on file and they're tracking themselves and this and that and, um, and sometimes that's really good, but it can also be really bad um, because sometimes they get too obsessed with it and you just got to tell them, like, just swim, you know, yeah. just get in the <laughs> um, So, yeah, there's a psychological sort of part that comes to it as well um, when you're working with them around, you know, when's the right time to give them that information mm. because when you're putting information, um, you know, in front of them, um, you know, it's often critical information like um and often it's like negative as well in a way um because you're trying to point out where they can be better you know so you've got to be really mindful around when you're giving them that information that you're giving them some positive feedback as well as you know look here are some areas for improvement um and these are some things that you can work on but definitely um you know early on in my career um a coach pulled me up once and he's like you just tell them bad things all the time. He's like, tell them something positive. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you are. Like, my job is to look for faults in their swimming, you know, and, and to find the faults in their swimming. Not faults, but, you know, yeah, yeah, areas, yeah. For, areas for improvement. 
um, and and to continue to work on them and push push those to make them better and better, you know. So, um, but I'm definitely more mindful now. Um, I guess that comes with experience around, yeah, sort of like how you're interacting and and timing, as I said, is absolutely everything. I think um, with when you give them information and what type of information you're giving them. And just from the sound of it, there's just so much to do. And obviously, you're at the top of the pyramid. How, like, how big is your team, and how do you sort of delegate the workload? Because obviously, you've got so much info to convey to the athletes, the coaches. How do you sort of structure it? Yeah, we're super lucky in Australia. Look, I would say we probably have the biggest sports science team in the world. Um, the way, um, I guess, to explain for people that aren't aware, but the way the Olympic um, sort of sporting scene is in Australia is um, we have state institutes of sport. So the New South Wales Institute of Sport, the Queensland Academy of Sport, you know, Victorian Institute of Sport, every state has their own institute. Um, and that's where the athletes are sort of working in their daily training environment. And each of those institutes employs um, people exactly like me, biomechanists, physiologists, nutritionists, psychologists, um, and so they're all working with the swimmers in the daily training environment and with their coaches. Um, and then we've got a couple of people um, that work at Swimming Australia with me in the Performance Insights team. But we rely really, really heavily on that workforce um, in the in-state institutes. Um, and then when we go on to a national team, it'll be myself, but we will take people um, from those state institutes. So then they'll sort of um, sort of be seconded onto the Australian swim team, so to speak. Um, and then we make sure, like, it's really important, like the flow of information um, from the daily training environment onto the national program, whether it be like a camp we're doing or a competition, um, that that flow of information between national team and the daily training environment, which is can be club-based too, like at a swimming club um, or, a, or a national hub or... However, their sort of training squad is set up that that flow of information um, is sort of consistent and clear um, throughout the year. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I work probably most closely like with Michael Bowles program on the Gold Coast. So that's one where I am able to take that sort of information from the national team um, and there's a pretty easy flow there. But I have to make sure like all the other programs like you know, it's impossible for me to be, you know, in on pool deck, you know, on 18 different programs. So, um, yeah, we're super lucky. As I said, I think there would be nearly probably close to like 15 biomechanists um, across the country. So each of our national hubs has a, a lead, a senior biomechanist working in there. And, and um, we really work as a group, as a network of sports scientists and um, keep the communication open, you know, like we're chatting weekly and daily um, all the time about different things and athletes and programs. And, um, yeah, so I think we're, we're probably the only country um, in the world that has a system like that. Yeah, well, and it just makes you so proud as an Aussie listening to you talk that obviously we're so proud of our swimmers, we see them. But so proud also of our sports scientists like you and all of your colleagues and what you do, the role you play. I mean, as you say, world leading. Um, 
It's so cool, actually. And the work that obviously that um, Institute of Sport and also Latrobe have done with Swimming Australia to create this world-leading technology. I mean, it's just, it does make you proud as an Aussie. Hey, um, so I read an article not that long ago. It was in all the news newspapers, uh, you know, uh, Courier Mail, Daily Telegraph, Her- Herald Sun, spoke about the role you've played with Cody Simpson. Now, I don't want you to give away any trade secrets, of course, but 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 how much have you sort of enjoyed that, working with Cody? Um, yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, Cody's a great guy. You know, he's just a great person at heart. Um, and yeah, it's been really different to work with an, an athlete, um, that has, um, you know, sw- swum, you know, very talented swimmer, um, in his earlier days and then left the sport and pursued his music career and then has come back, um, and has always had talent, you know, you don't lose your talent, um, that doesn't leave you. Um, so he's had, he's, he had his talent and he brought that back to the pool, um, but it was about sort of rediscovering him as an athlete, but him having to learn to be an elite athlete because um, when he left the sport at 13, you know, you're still just a kid and you're just swimming because you love it, you know, yeah. um, and you're swimming, you're training, you know, he would have been training pretty hard. He trained down at um, Miami with Dennis Cottrell then. So I have no doubt he was training very hard at 13. Um <laughs> But, yeah, you know, like he had to relearn um, a lot of things about how to be a high-performance athlete, um, and he's still learning, you know, um, but it's been really fascinating. I think he approaches things a little bit differently to other athletes. Um, he definitely, you know, like you see his creative side coming out in his swimming, which has been really interesting. Yeah. Um, and before yeah. when you talked about, like, data, like Cody's one, like he loves to know, like, you know, all the numbers and how to get better and what he's doing wrong and he wants to improve in everything that he's doing and um, he really loves that information um, and he just, like, absorbs it all so quickly. You know, sometimes I, you know, I don't think he likes it but I have to slow him down and, like, you know, be like, okay, we're just concentrating on one thing, Cody. Like, we've just got to get this right, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's definitely um, been you know, different, um, but really, as I said, really, really enjoyable um, to see someone, you know, like come back to the sport because they love it so much um, and just see, you know, his progression move so quickly and, you know, like who knows what he can do as long as he has the love for the sport and he's enjoying what he's doing um, and, you know, like he keeps improving. So I think it's exciting to see sort of what he'll be able to do, you know, in the future, but, um, yeah, it's it's just a different um, different athlete. I guess they're all kind of different um, in their own right. And, and again, that's one of the things why you know um, that helps you have longevity. You know, I think like in my position or a coach's position, because every one of the athletes is so different that um, you know part of what you're doing is trying to find the key to unlock that athlete's potential. You know, whether it's something technical or psychological or, um, you know, physical, you've got to find what it is for each athlete that's going to help them reach their potential. Um, yeah, and it, so, it's, yeah, it's been really exciting um, to watch Cody sort of develop really quickly and um, and the attention that he gets, you know, is also really exciting for the sport of swimming, I think. Um, it's definitely brought a whole new crowd base to swimming um, that probably wasn't there before. Um, yeah, and he's just a great guy. He, as I said, he's a great guy to work with. He's really motivated um, 
he has a great attitude to wanting to be better um, every time he turns up to the pool. So he's an absolutely, it makes him a real pleasure to work with. You tap on a great point there about the fact that he's got a fan base, which is different to the traditional fan base for Australian swimming. And I know we chatted about this on that Sports Tech World Series panel we were on, whereby, you know, obviously all the data you've got, you know, there's such, of course, the, the primary purpose is the high performance, but then the potential to use it as a way to engage fans, um, yeah. to create narratives, and then also specifically with Cody to be able to reach a, a wider fan base. Um, how do you sort of see that that can play out? Yeah, look, I don't, uh, to be honest, I, I don't know. Like we're kind of experimenting with a lot of that stuff at the moment. But yeah, I mean, we were talking before about, I think there's a real opportunity in swimming um, as as it continues to develop as a sport, but to use that information, that data that, you know, is public data, like it's things that anyone could get if they watch these athletes swim. So it's not like a secret, mm. um, the data that we would release, but, um, you know, using that data to engage fans and um, help tell a story about an athlete um, and help give people insight into an athlete so that they sort of engage with what's going on. And they're like, I actually want to see this athlete swim because I want to see if they achieve what they've been training to achieve. Or, you know, um, if, for example, if we gave a certain data set to the commentary team and they were able to say, oh, you know, this race is coming up and this is the way, you know, like it's going to play out and, you know, you should watch um, athlete A versus athlete B because athlete A has a really good start. You know, they've got the best start in the world, but athlete B, you know, has the best underwater kick in the world. So watch them off the turn because that's probably where they're going to clutch. That's the clutch moment of the race, you know, and you can build real excitement in that. And then people are sort of like, invested in the race and they're like i want to watch that to see if it actually happens you know like does that athlete grab that clutch moment in the race um and take the race out you know so yeah i think um a lot of sports do it really well um you know professional sports like basketball in the nba you know the americans are renowned for doing it um the american sports nfl nba formula yeah. one um, and I don't see why we can't do it in swimming. We just have to get the information better, um, faster, and transfer it over to the broadcast so that they can utilise it. Well, the biggest lesson I got out of that, you should be in the commentary box, Jess. Like, the way you described it is pitch perfect. You just got to get this Sparta so good that it can run itself, and you can jump in the comm box. Right? That's what you got to do. Uh, um, all right, before we go, and once again, thanks for being so generous with your time. Um I reflected on this too when we last chatted, uh, the great story of the way that Dawn Fraser used to train as a young girl. She used to swim into a stormwater drain, like swim against the current, you know, the the over, overwhelming amount of water swimming uh, into that, which is incredible. That was her high performance back in the day, three Olympic gold. Can you tell us about moving forward, what you'd like to see in the tech space to help create the high performance that will lead us into Brisbane 2032? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess for me, um, and again, I'm by my bias is towards the biomechanics. I'm sure if you ask a physiologist, they would want some sort of, you know, gas analysis, you know, monitoring tool or something for the athletes. But yeah, um, yeah I'd really like to see, um, you know, Sparta 2 be able to be used in the training environment. Um, at the moment, the way it's designed is purely for competition. 
So I'd like to see us um, be able to develop it um, in the training pool um, and then to be able to, because then what we're able to do is, you know, like cross-check, you know, the more specificity we get in training, you know, like is that matching up um, to what we're seeing in competition? And then to be able to go, I think if we can get more accurate, better tracking and tra of the training data, you know, like can we then project, you know, and predict a little bit better, you know, what is possibly you know, possible in the competition pool. Um, I think, you know, the other one that um, that we're not great at, you know, there's there are systems that do it, but is the free swimming analysis. So, um, you know, when, when they're not performing one of the skills, so like I mentioned before, the start or the turn or the finish, but just free swimming down the pool, um, being able to analyse that a little bit better and understand the hydrodynamics more than what we do i think um we do um we do a little bit and as i said there are some systems out there but they're very very labor intensive extremely expensive um you know previously they were only able to analyze like one stroke cycle you know um which you're still making a lot of assumption of technique you know just getting one stroke cycle um on 3d analysis so yeah i think you know the more we can um, I guess look into that and analyze the more we'll learn about individuals and, and, and the sport of swimming. Well, that sounds good. That hydrodynamic tech that you speak of, like as you were saying, they use it for shipping. So we've obviously just got to try and, you know, sort of mesh that into to swimming. Um, how incredible. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm easy. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, just brilliant, Jess. Well, um, all right. Well, so what, before we go, last one. So between now and Paris, what does your time look like? Do you, do you get any time off or is it just totally <laughs> devoted? Like, yeah, how do you sort of manage that to have, you know, a bit of time where you can sort of take a breath as well? Because I'm guessing it's just so hectic. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely challenging to f try and find time to take off. Um, Emma McKeon is always on my back about me having holidays, which is very <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, look. Uh, we've got World Short Course Championships at the end of this year in, down in Melbourne, which is really exciting. I think it's the first time in, I want to say, 11 years since we've had an international competition um, in Australia. So that's super exciting um, for everyone um, to be able to race at an international competition on home soil. So um, finally, short course is a bit funny. Um you know, you've got to, it's quite specific type of racing. You've got to be a really skillful athlete. Um, but we had a lot of athletes that normally don't race short course that put their hand up and um, swam at the trials to get on the team um, for the world short course team because they just want to race internationally at home. It's a really, the athletes love racing in front of a home crowd. It's an amazing opportunity um, to do that. So they're really excited for that. So, yeah, so that's really cool. And that's in December in Melbourne. And then, um next year's not too bad next year we've just got one world championships um the long course uh world championships we're here in fukuoka in japan um and then yeah we've got another world championships in january in doha and then it's paris so yeah it's not far away um but yeah i'll definitely try and take some time to sort of relax in between all that yeah. um so that we're ready to go for paris but yeah it's super exciting and um, yeah, it will blink and we'll be in Paris, no doubt. 
Literally. And just hearing that, I mean, clearly, if Emma McKeon's saying, oh, but, you know, do you really have to take the holiday? It shows how integral you are, you and no, your team. No, she's telling me to take holidays. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's all about balance. That's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah a good she's thing. telling me to take holidays. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, honestly, it's just been such a wonderful thing to chat with you. And, and for all the listeners to be able to get this sort of insight, they're going to have such a greater understanding when it comes to Melbourne, you know, back end of this year for the short course worlds. You know, they're going to be watching it and be thinking about the sort of things you've been talking about today. Um, Jess Cronin, it's just a great honor to have you on the show. You've got to come back because we've got more to talk about. But um, thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thanks for having me, Locke. Oh, how brilliant is Jess? Just magnificent. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing to get that sort of insight into the way that they go about it, the high performance of, of swimming. Um, just brilliant. And, and it's so you know, very cool of Jess to, you know, let us in on, uh, on some of that. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff. I hope Jess definitely will be a, a regular on the show. Uh, all right, now we're going around the grounds. We're going to meet today a member of Australia's sports tech community. He's from Queensland. His name is Steve Anning. His company is Riot. And our APAC correspondent, Tom Demetrio, caught up with him. Okay, so tell us a bit about Riot. What's your elevator pitch? <laughs> My elevator pitch. Um, it's better for teams, better for stadiums, better for fans at the game. It's more inclusive. Um, what this is, is imagine the coach of the team in the centre of the field and he has effectively a walkie-talkie using his mobile phone. Um, he uses that walkie-talkie to speak individually to up to 100,000 people at once in the stadium on their own mobile phones and an earpiece. So he's effectively talking to everybody at once with perfect audio clarity because they're hearing it on their headphones. So it's a now, fan engagement type? It is a fan engagement tool. now. Because this is runoff mobile phone technology, it means that you can take it to an away game and you can rally your fans at an away game for the purpose of starting chance. So you have a tool for away games to rally your fans and a tool for home games to better rally your fans because the audio is better than any PA system, obviously. So why do you want this? Why do you want a tool to better rally your fans? Because crowd behavior affects performance on the field. Um, social facilitation theory has proven that over and over again in hundreds of studies over the last 50, 60 years. So effectively, with one person being able to talk to and in a moment's notice being like duh, 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 aimed at one person or a group of people, yeah. starting a chant, um, that affects performance on the field. So you have a performance enhancing tool if you use it for motivating a player or a team or a performance right. diminishing tool if you use it for not motivating um, a player or a team. Um, which is a competitive advantage for a team um, and something that's only been possible with this technology, you know, the underlying audio frameworks, everybody's new and up-to-date mobile phones in the last couple of years. So, it's, you know, it, it couldn't have happened before now. Um, so, one, performance advantage, but two, this is for the fan in the stadium far more inclusive because they are now the link which can affect play on the field and this is something that can only happen at the game. So, this is more inclusive, this is empowering, gives them connection, you know, this is why you go to the game. So this is aimed to bring people back to games and this is games of current sport as we know it and also esports because crowds alter performance for better and for worse everywhere and that's something that we get only at the live games. It's not something that we get at home, you know, even with all the best technology at home and all these up-to-date things 
with yeah so this is something okay, so, for the live game all right fantastic so why did you come to the conference um well we're a new company we're a new technology so you're, you're a local company at the moment um, yeah, I'm, I just live up the road in Brisbane and I'm starting locally and, and, and building my business and it just so happens um, that the, um, the tech conference is on in Brisbane this week. So I'm very fortunate to have found out about it and to be here today. So what's your highlight been so far? Um, my is highlight... Is it networking or is it any of the sessions? Um, I'm not looking, yeah, look, I really enjoyed presenting yesterday. It's, um, it's a wonderful thing. A friend of mine asked me, like, what is it like to have an idea and bring it into the world? And to be doing that is a highlight. So, be, you know, t t for me personally, um, that's what it is. But, I mean, I am here, to answer your question, I am here to meet people involved in teams who this will help as a performance enhancement tool. Um, I am here to meet um, the stadiums themselves who can use this um, in addition to their existing PA system or for grassroots teams um, because it's really, really inexpensive. It's like paying for data. Um, they can use this to, to connect to everybody when they don't even have a PA system at their stadium. So I'm, this is pitched at everybody from a grassroots local team who want to connect with the few parents that are in the stadium all the way to the Barmy Army, Manchester United fans who want to have these unbelievable sets of praise and criticism going at a moment's notice to affect play on the field. Um, so I'm here to connect with teams, with fan groups, and I'm also here to connect with the stadiums themselves who can use this either alone or in addition to their existing PA infrastructure to improve the connectivity um, and the fan experience at games to help bring people back to games. Ah, wonderful. Tom out there around the grounds. Steve Anning from Wright. All right, that wraps us up. Thank you very much for your company. We'll catch you next week on Sports Cutting Edge, all for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, astn.com.au. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.